Welcome to the Vancouver Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Drew O'Grizzik, and we're here with Nikki Kunstman, uh, internal recruiter with InVision. Thank you very much for joining us, Nikki. Absolutely. Thank you. I have a lot of questions for you, actually. Um, recently, I've been spending a fair bit of time uh, around hiring and kind of evaluating whether that be team fit or, you know, ability, which I, I think how well somebody codes or how well somebody could contribute to a team or uh, a complex software solution mm-hmm. is often not a very easy thing to determine. Is it? <laughs> no, it's not the easiest thing, but it's fun. Yeah. And I've been spending a lot of time thinking about that. And then also how, you know, you can kind of cherry pick statistics or ideas or problems or metrics or, you know, monitoring stats, whatever, and come up with a presentation that can more or less lead into whatever you want it to be. And as long as you're not making other people feel bad, per se, or or look bad, even worse, but and potentially even making them look good, uh, you can almost lead anything into anything when you know, when there's a certain amount of complexity or people don't necessarily understand things. And then you have, on the other hand, very opinionated people that would say, no, this is the way or that's the way. Uh, so that's a pretty tough leading question. But why don't we lead with that? <laughs> How do you determine whether somebody is capable of doing a good job? That's a very broad question also. Um, I think there's a lot of different components. So I'm probably going to keep most of my responses on the technical engineering side because that's what I recruit for specifically. Awesome. Um, but it comes down to whether or not that person is going to be able to do the job within the team. And that obviously breaks down into team fit being really critical. Um, obviously, you've got to be able to test their capability from a technical perspective, make sure that they can work with what you need them to work with and complete the project or the task they're being asked to complete. Uh, In our case, that's going to be a lot of JavaScript, which is fun. Um, But then you also have to figure out, is this someone that's going to be able to work well within my team? And are they going to be able to contribute to my team? And that a lot of that is personality and culture. Um, So we talk a lot with candidates. Um, I obviously do a first round conversation with them, make sure that they're someone we want to work with. And then they're going to talk with, you know, engineers and hiring managers within that organization who are going to get a sense for who that person is. And they're going to ask questions, uh, you know, about the projects they've contributed to you about the the roles that they played within their teams, how they've handled various situations. And they're not necessarily looking for perfect answers. A lot of people will ask me, you know, how do I answer this question? And it's, you know, it comes down to being honest and being true to who you are in that response, because there is no perfect way to answer that question for a given company or a given team. And our, we don't have scripted questions that we ask a lot of the time of our candidates. It's it's really conversational and it's tailored to each person because we're trying to get to know who they are and more about them and whether or not it's going to be a mutual fit uh, for them in a given role. That brings up a pretty interesting question, I think, then. Uh, if you don't have sort of set questions or mm-hmm. uh, and you're, you're kind of tailoring it for the person... Does that mean that uh, you don't necessarily have a standardized way of evaluating, but rather go more with like a gut feeling? I think there's elements of that. Um, we do have a standardized interview flow and a standardized process by which we evaluate candidates. They do have to hit certain criteria, but it is based on the conversation that they're having and the person they're interacting with. We do have them talk with multiple people. So there's no, you don't have that instance where one person is going to say, well, my gut says, no, we're not going to hire this person and therefore we don't hire the person. We, we do mitigate that um, because they're going to talk with multiple people. 
The org, the part of our engineering org that I recruit for does this very, very well. Um, what they do is they have an initial set of topics that different interviewers are set to cover, be that team fit, cultural fit, projects, leadership capability, but they don't necessarily drill down and say, ask this question per se. They're focused on a certain topic area. And then what they do after that panel of interviews is they basically have a retro and they discuss that candidate's performance through that interview process, the responses they've had. And some of these re- these conversations have lasted you know, 30 minutes where they're really talking with each other about why or why not this person should be a fit on the team. And I think that that conversation is actually very healthy and it allows them to really think through who they're hiring and why they're hiring that person and what contributions they're going to be able to make and make a more thoughtful decision. What's more important when considering uh, an engineer? Experience with particular technology like JavaScript you'd mentioned before Mm -hmm. or the desire and passion to solve problems and to learn new technologies? So I think the desire and passion to solve problems and learn new technologies has become kind of a catchphrase in this industry. Um, I get it a lot from people. So you can say you have that desire, but the actual real desire is really important because really strong engineers are going to be capable of learning what they need to learn to solve those problems, right? It's the people who maybe aren't passionate about solving problems. They want to be able to just say, hey, I'm an engineer. I work with X technology. This is what I do. They're not going to be as innovative per se. They're not going to, they're not going to push the boundaries. They might not come up with the most elegant solutions, things like that. And what we look for are engineers who are super passionate about solving those problems and they go out of their way to find ways to do that and learn what they need to learn to do that. What about uh, education, self-improvement uh, and, and team and company-wide improvement? How important is that? Something that um, as you were speaking, I kind of, I, I kind of thought was, uh, or I re- remembered was um, Salman Khan from Khan Academy, who uh, talks a lot and, and came out with the sort of online progressive uh, mathematics study mm-hmm. um, methodology. And something that that he'd mentioned was, you know, oftentimes the difference between somebody who's very strong in mathematics and somebody who just really isn't is about five minutes. You know, five minutes of personal time or, you know, they, they, somebody was distracted for five minutes when something was explained and everything sort of toppled over from that going forward and they never really caught up. And I wonder if the same isn't somewhat true, at least in engineering. And so when I hear that companies say, we only hire this type of engineer or we only hire that type, like we only hire strong engineers who are great already, what that tells me is, Maybe you don't actually have many strong engineers because maybe uh, you're not able to grow them. So you have the bar set somewhere, but then are we considering that experience or talent is a static thing and not something that we can grow and cultivate? That is an excellent perspective and a very good question. Um, I think there are a lot of companies that have different approaches to this. Some, some are, they, they just say, Hey, we're going to give you, um, tuition reimbursement, send you back to school, what, you know, invest in your professional development that way. One of the things I've seen Envision do really well is that they, they seek to bring on engineers from, from whom we can learn things. They, they're looking for people who are going to be able to, uh, um, educate our existing staff and help them grow their careers. The idea of leadership and mentorship is very important to the hiring that we do um, because we want people to be able to grow in their career development and, and grow their understanding and be able to contribute in that sense. So I think we are, we're able to allow people to pursue that. And we, we obviously do things like send people to conferences and, you know, help with certifications and provide them with unlimited books through Amazon that they can, they can use to learn and grow um, because it, it is, 
something that we evolve through and it is something, you know, education isn't something that you necessarily have to derive from a classroom. And I think giving people the room and the ability to explore, you know, tools, technologies, things that are of interest to them really helps us, but it also helps them advance their career, their knowledge base, and then give back, obviously. I should also point out, I think that um, question may have come across a little bit hostile or as if no. I, I knew something <laughs> that I don't. Um, this is a question that I often have, you know, is mm-hmm. it, are we able to hire uh, junior engineers and actually, you know, build them up? Do we have a culture that embraces education? Do we know what we're doing mm-hmm. um, or, or, or not? And what does that look like or, or should we strive for that? Uh, and oftentimes, you know, I'm, I, it's a question that I have and I'm not sure that there's an easy way to answer it. Um, anyway, so it does, it does sound pretty interesting. Now I want to come back to Envision, mm-hmm. um, and kind of talk a little bit about that. It's a, a completely remote team. Yeah, it is. Um, we are all 100% remote. Um, I, like I mentioned earlier, I live in Colorado. I actually live in the super remote mountains of Colorado, not even in Denver. Um, and we've got people all over the, the U.S., Canada, the world. We've got people in South America, Europe. We are actually, um, we just set up an entity in, in the UK. We're actually going to be setting up a hiring entity here in Canada, um, based out of Vancouver as well. So we're, we're everywhere. Does that mean, I think sometimes when people hear, you know, a completely remote team, um, it means a lot of independence. Does that mean a lot of independence? Does it mean um, a lot of uh, a different style of communication? How does communication work? How do the teams work? Right. So I get this question every day um, from the candidates I'm talking to. And we we definitely have a very unique communication style and culture, one that I I think is really positive uh, because we're all distributed. It actually forces us to be more thorough communicators and more thorough collaborators and be more collaborative in our interactions. And people go out of their way to get to know more about you, to, to build those relationships because it, when you're face to face in an office, it's very easy to, you know, have a, a passing relationship or conversation with someone and kind of move on with your day. Whereas this has to be more deliberate because even though it's a slack ping, you're still taking the time to do that. You're not just walking past someone and saying, Oh, hey, by the way. Um, so we do put a lot of thought and effort into our communication and understanding the way that we communicate. So things aren't lost in translation of text and, and email and things like that. We do communicate primarily through slack, which means we have very f- rapid, uh, almost like micro conversations um, that that occur. So it really changes the the pace at which we're communicating. And sometimes when people aren't accustomed to that, they're they're used to being in that office environment, they can be a little overwhelmed <laughs> initially. But um I would say overall it's it's been beneficial. We do spend a lot of time on video. Um and in certain cities we do have shared workspaces where people can go in and get that face to face interaction if it's important for them or that they enjoy it, but it's never mandatory. So what are some of the cities where you do have those? Um, let's see. Boston, New York, DC. Um, we've got them in Denver, Austin, Texas, San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, Oregon. Um, I think we're going to be setting one up here in Vancouver as well. We've got enough of a team that they're, they're starting to ask for that. So. That sounds pretty cool. Kind of all over the place. So what's it like if you decide to go traveling? Are you welcome to go to any of those uh, places and kind of meet the teams there? Oh, absolutely. So I travel a lot just for fun. And um, every time I do, I always note every every city has a Slack channel, essentially. And you just kind of pop in there and say, hey, guys, I'm coming to town. Let's do happy hour. Let's do this or that. And people are always really usually pretty excited to do that. Um, and we encourage people to travel because it doesn't matter where, where you are. It doesn't matter as long as you're able to get your stuff done, as long as you're able to be responsible. So that's what's key. So what do you see is the the role or what defines the role of a recruiter and further an internal recruiter? And then on the other hand, you know, 
you, recruiters, those people that are trying to give me awesome jobs. How dare you offer me an amazing job opportunity? I'll start with that one, actually. Okay. So I, I actually, re- I can empathize with that because I understand, and, and especially in the tech industry, the market's really tight and there are recruiters who aren't the best communicators, right? And you receive in-mails and emails and phone calls from people saying, hey, you've got a fantastic background with all of these technologies that, you know, I think my company uses, but I want to hire you for a sysadmin job. And you're like, well, did you read my resume? I did that 10 years ago. Um, so I think as recruiters, it's important for us us to be a little bit more diligent and a little bit more thoughtful in our outreach and not focus just on numbers and trying to reach out to as many people as possible, but to actually take the time to read someone's LinkedIn profile. If, they st- if they've taken the time to write on their profile, hey, don't contact me, I'm not looking, maybe don't send them five emails, right? Um, so I understand from the engineer's perspective that you are bombarded daily. It's hard not to get frustrated with that. As a, as a corporate recruiter, I think we're a partner to our business, to the teams that we support. Um, for example, I I support one of our engineering groups specifically, and I talk with them and interact with them more than I do with my actual recruiting teammates. Um, and I, I, that's been crucial to the hiring success that we've had. Um, but I, I mean, there's a, there's a mutual respect between us. They, they don't separate me out like, oh, she's the recruiter. She can't understand what we're talking about. They, they educate me on, on what they're doing and on what they're looking for. You know, obviously maybe not as in depth as, as some other people they might talk to, but they, they, they seek to help and to partner with me. So that's the role, I think. That sounds like a pretty uh, healthy sort of relationship. Why don't you educate us? What what <laughs> are you sort of looking for? What does that role look like? So for a lot of our, our teams, we're going to be looking for full stack engineers. Um, you know, obviously that can skew front end or back end. We do look for, you know, people who skew either direction. We look for people who probably fit more of a DevOps profile in the sense that they're just as comfortable, you know, digging into the back end as they are into the front end and then making things look pretty versus function and all of that. Um, we do have a JavaScript stack with a React front end and we do a lot of, of Node and Go on the back end. We're actually pretty aggressively transitioning our back end over to Go. So experience in those areas is going to be pretty critical. I think the bigger piece that's important for us is do you have experience delivering something amazing and do you take that experience seriously? Do you take that that delivery of your product pretty seriously? So what do you think uh, about people that say, I have a lot of experience uh, not delivering anything? That... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't I've ever had ever anyone. That, no, I was gonna but... say I don't think anyone's ever <laughs> said. But there, there are some. You know, you you get backgrounds and you get people who they they go from project to project and they maybe haven't been involved in something from start to finish. Um, even if that's something small, it's really important because our user base are all designers and designers are very demanding. They're very particular, and it's important that people understand that your end product and what you're building actually has an effect and they they take enjoyment from people being able to use their product versus, hey, I kind of contributed a little bit to this little thing and I don't really care what it did. I don't think that personality is common, but I have run across it. What about um, a, a sort of flip side, I guess? Uh, there's a lot of people like maybe contractors or uh, advisors who might spend a lot of time in the beginning getting a project sort of launched or, mm-hmm. or quote unquote delivered and then walk away, uh, not supporting and maintaining that and, and their customers over time. So maybe not seeing 
potentially the mess that they left or learning from that, um, maybe, which may be more important. What's the sort of feeling of ownership and, and who are the customers? Who are the end users, uh, particularly of the team that you're talking about? And then maybe some of the other teams that uh, exist in InVision. And thank you for clarifying. You, were, you said exactly what I was trying to say. Um, I think that, you know, obviously there are larger companies out there, larger organizations that have a need for those people to have the, take ownership of the initial piece of the project, getting it launched, getting it organized, and then moving on to the next thing. There's a reason that those roles exist and people have that experience. For us, we're still small enough where everyone is still kind of in that all hands on deck mentality and, and invested in that. So our product, it goes into the hands of designers. It goes into the, I mean, there are salespeople, business development people who use our platform to do product demos um, for whatever it is they're trying to sell. So there's a lot of different applications, but for the most part, it's the designer. And there are teams that are focused on some very top secret things um, that I can't really get into, but there are teams who also are focused on just, you know, different features and new feature updates and upgrades and maintenance and things like that. We've got platform infrastructure teams and all of those things. So for the platform group, obviously their user, their customer are the other engineers and their job is to make those engineers' lives a little bit easier, right? And that's that's a different kind of perspective for that engineer when they're thinking, okay, this could be a combative, hostile conversation where you you tell me that I want you want to be able to do something and you can't. And I'm saying, well, I don't really want to automate that. I don't want to make that work better for you versus, hey, what can I do to make your life easier? And, and how do I think about what I'm creating so that you can create a better Envision product for the ultimate end user? So why would somebody think, hey, Envision, I'd love to go and work there. Or I'd love to go and join that team. What, what sort of personality might it be? What sort of day to day might they be looking at? Why would somebody consider it? I think it depends on the person. I mean, we get our fair share of people who say, I want to work there because it's remote and I, I want to go live in the remote mountains of Colorado. So I want to live, I want to work with Envision. Um, but for the most part, we get a lot of people who are passionate about, you know, issues on the engineering side, issues of scale, issues of usability, issues of, you know, how do we do all of this through the cloud and, and just the different things that we're working on on that front. I think what drives most of the people who work here is they, they get to know our product, they get to know our teams and they get to see the different that they're able to make in the lives of so many people uh, on the design, the UX side of things. And they basically are allowing other teams, other companies to create better products for, and that's, I mean, if you think about the the reach that you have creating that platform, that's amazing. And a lot of people are very excited about that. Can you explain a little bit about what the difference would be between an internal recruiter and an external recruiter? Yeah, absolutely. I, I got, I started my career as an external agency recruiter. And I think that experience was valuable because it teaches you how to work with different personalities, different companies, um, have a sense of urgency in what you do. So a lot of third party external agency recruiters, they're working with a multitude of clients, right? They're, they're working with multiple companies. They're looking for, for candidates to present to those companies and they're the middleman, essentially. Um, they're, they're matchmakers and they're, a lot of them are very good at what they do. Um, so a lot of them have very niche focuses in in tech, in legal, in sales. And it's it's been interesting over the 10 years I've been in recruiting to see how the, the whole industry has evolved. The internal recruiters, a lot of people view them as HR. <laughs> We're not <laughs> usually, but they, and a lot of people view them as a gatekeeper when they're like, oh, the internal recruiters are just there to screen out applicants and just to filter through, you know, pools of resumes. And obviously we do have to review resumes and we do have to reject people. I actually hate rejecting people. I cry a lot of the time when I have to, but <laughs> why is that? Um, especially toward the end of an interview process, I get very invested in my candidates. I try to advocate for them as much as I can through that interview process. And when you've got to tell someone like, we, we love you, we'd love to hire you, but we just can't. And that's, that's hard. 
Well, so what are some reasons why you might not hire someone? If they if they aren't able to demonstrate that they can do the job at the level we need them to do the job, you know, they don't know enough JavaScript. They don't know enough of React, depending on what the requirements of a given role are. That's one reason. And, you know, other times there's other that's I would say that's actually the biggest reason we let people go um, through the interview process that I've seen. But other times you're going to have situations where um, maybe it's just a timing issue, right? Where we, this just happened not too long ago. We, we spoke with someone and I liked him. The interviewers liked him. It just, we weren't going to be able to hire at, we hire at senior lead staff principal levels, obviously. And he wasn't at the level where we had open headcount and it was like, and he had other offers and it was just like a, you, if, if it could be three months from now, <laughs> it could work. So that's actually a really interesting thing is that. On the one hand, there's the, you know, how, how good is this candidate? How much of a cultural fit is the candidate? How technically uh, experienced is the candidate? But then on the other hand, there's also the, if it's not a perfect match, like an absolutely perfect match, can we afford to give them what a perfect match would mm-hmm. and to match that? Um, that's a, that's a pretty interesting problem. It, it is. Um, I don't think. I don't know if you've heard this a lot, but people will um, they'll create an analogy between interviewing and hiring and dating. And I, I do think it holds true in a lot of ways, right? There's no perfect, quote unquote, match for you um, as a partner. There's no perfect match for you as a, as a candidate or as a company. You've got Clearly, to- you're not a romantic. No, not really. But um, there's there's not th- this idea that there is an exact perfect match who meets all of your track boxes, all of your criteria on both sides, right? Candidates, I mean, to them too. There's the companies are gonna there's gonna be a con somewhere, and there's I mean, just doesn't exist. So that I for for me and for the teams I work with, I think it's more about really thinking through what things can we overlook, right? Th- so we were looking for someone who has five years of experience building web applications using JavaScript, just an example. Why five years? Uh, that's arbitrary. That's pulled out of my mind. But anyway, um, but we talked to an engineer and they are able to really click with the team. They're able to solve problems. Maybe they've only been working with JavaScript for two years, but they've got a really strong background in general. Obviously, we're going to make that compromise, right? And we're going to decide to bring that person on board versus, oh, no, don't have five years of experience. Can't have to pass on this person. Can you tell me a little bit about the interviewing process? Um, I think there's a sweet spot and I, there's actually stats that support this somewhere. <laughs> um, but... You don't want to have a process that's too simple, but you don't want to have one that's too, that's too difficult just for the sake of being difficult. So ours, I think, does actually fall in that, that point where there's some difficulty involved. Um, we start candidates out, uh, speaking with a given recruiter, um, depending on what role it is that they're interviewing for. For engineering, they're going to go through uh, a couple of initial screens, essentially, uh, one with a hiring manager, one with someone else on the, the technical staff at a, a lead or staff level, probably. And those conversations are really just to kind of give us the base, the, the groundwork for what we're going to dig into later, right? Those are usually about 30, 45 minutes. Um, and then they get into our, our technical panel, our version of the on-site interview panel, essentially. Um, so that is four sessions that are, you know, where they're going to dig into problem solving, leadership capabilities, specific examples of different things that a candidate has done. And those are one-on-one for about an hour. Um, and then they're going to have a final conversation, depending on, on the level of the role, depending on the team, it's either going to be with a VP or, or our CTO. Um, and all of that's done via video. So we actually, it's so funny. Um, some companies, they're like, oh man, we go so fast. We, we are able to get people through these processes in a month. And for us, we get people through in about two weeks on average is our, our average time. 
time to get people through that. So I've heard of a lot of different sort of strategies when it comes to um, when it comes to interviewing everything from, you know, solving algorithmic problems to spending half a day pairing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually working on something to no coding interview at all because there's a, a three-week trial period anyway. But that would suck, spending three weeks working with someone, really liking them, and then, oh, sorry, you, you missed that one uh, thing in your pull request. That sounds <laughs> awful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I, I, I guess it's pretty difficult to, to really evaluate. Um, but what are some things you think that, that make the most sense? And are there... Are there uh, Coding challenges? Are there uh, algorithmic problem solving, uh, or is it mostly conversation? I would say it's mostly conversation based. So you're for for us, um, you're not going to get into the deep algorithmic stuff that you do with companies like Google or Facebook or, or things like that. Um, we do have share because it's all video. We do shared screens, and they they will do some whiteboarding and walk through some problem solving and things like that. Um, but there's not a code challenge. There's not necessarily paired programming through the interview process. It's largely conversation based. That's pretty interesting. I've also noticed like some some interviewers, uh, depending on what the process is like, um, really give a lot more weight to certain topics or mm-hmm. things that they may care about rather than. Uh, necessarily what the role needs. And then on the other hand, uh, how do you know what you need in a role? How do you say this is what we need right now? Um, because each person sort of brings their own personality and maybe what they care about. So you might get somebody coming in with very strong systems design background uh, or interest. And then on the other hand, you might get somebody else coming in. You'd mentioned DevOps and uh, that as an example, like the way that we think of DevOps. What is DevOps? Is it a role? Uh, is that any different from just ops in that case? Oh, it is because now we, we're we're putting our uh, code into version control. Or on the other hand, is it a religion? Is it a way of life? <laughs> I, I think, I mean, for some people it is a religion. Right. Um, but I think it's, it's a way of doing things. And I think it's a, it's a thought process. I don't necessarily think it's a job title. I actually talk to a lot of engineers and, and myself who get frustrated when they see like DevOps engineer as a job title. Um, I, I, I do think it's an approach to doing things, but I think it's one that has evolved over to over time. Um, and to get where it is today. Um, and I apologize. What was your question? I don't remember it at okay. all. I think it was, I just wanted to say, yay, DevOps. <laughs> hey, I, so I, I spent a year recruiting site reliability engineers for Google, and um, I loved talking with them and learning from them. So it's something I enjoy. Very too. cool. I, I guess, oh, that that was the question. It was sort of, do you think there's value in oh. these algorithmic uh, questions or almost like brain teasers I've heard sometimes mm-hmm. um, or... You know, uh, on the other hand, you know, sometimes it's it's pretty important to remember what you studied in college. Right. So and I, I remember when you were asking your question, um, I was thinking about bias because you were talking about, you know, do people tend to focus their interview questions on things that they know, that things that they're comfortable with, things like that. Um, and we try to work with people to align them. And I've seen this in other companies, not just in vision, but you try to align the interviewer with subjects and, and topics where they're going to be knowledgeable and they're going to be able to make that a good assessment, but also things that are interesting to them, but also align with the job itself. And a lot of it comes through educating your interviewers on how to interview and what what you're looking for and how to get that information and, and kind of do that without having a bias yourself. I tend to, for some reason, uh, ask questions during interviews like, who do you, who do you look up to? Or who do you, whose books do you particularly read if they publish one or, or which blogs do you regularly, uh, regularly read or follow? Questions like that, that sort of give a sense of how connected or attached to, um, that community, 
they might be. What do you think of that? I'm not really sure that it matters, and I'm not sure that I've seen quote unquote better engineers answer that uh, question better than than others. But it does definitely give a sense of community involvement. Right, and I think um, it depends on the company. If you're working with a company, or if you are, if that's the expectation in a role that, like, hey, we're going to be out there aggressively being involved in our community for whatever whatever motive you have. But if that's something that is important to your free beer is a pretty good motive, <laughs> right? Free free beer is always a good thing. But if if that's something that's important to you, then it is important that those candidates are connected and are able to talk about it and not just bluff their way through it. Or you know, for us, we need people who aren't going to necessarily be a wallflower. We need people who are willing to raise their hand when they need help with something. We need people who are willing to push back because of our, our distributed nature. So asking a question like that is something that might actually be very relevant because you want people who are comfortable talking and communicating. Um, so if you're you're looking for people who are going to be actively out and about and involved in their community, it's going to be important that they're able to talk about it and be comfortable with it. So if people are interested in finding out more uh, about Envision or about yourself or about the roles that are being hired for, what's a good way for them to do so? Um, obviously, check us out online, www.envisionapp.com or just envisionapp.com. Um, you can also email me. Uh, my name is Nikki at envisionapp.com. Um, or you can look us up online. Feel free to stalk. We stalk you all the time, so might as well turn it around. <laughs> very cool. Well, Nikki Kunstman, internal recruiter with Envision, thank you very much for being on this episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Check out our website, vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. Much appreciated. You can follow us on Twitter, Van Tech Podcast. Feel free to leave some comments below. You can also hit us up on the YBR Dev, the Vancouver Tech, the Van Tech Slacks. I'm at James. And I'm at Drew. Special thanks to Same Room for hooking us up with an integration that allows us to have a cross-team Slack channel, Van Devs. Do you have a meetup that you want us to plug? Email us, show at vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Music by A Shell in the Pit from the game Parkitect. See you at one of the meetups around, around town. town.